It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And last but not least, and for the culture, a hardworking story that I can relate to. That's all coming up next right here on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start off by saying thank you for making ATL Day 1s your first listener of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast. And wherever you download your podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day 1s is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up in about four minutes, we're going to talk about what type of effect Quinn Snyder is going to have on this roster when it comes to decisions, who goes and who stays. But first, we got to talk about these rumors, T, because we already know we're less than a week away from the NBA draft, and the rumors are flying, coming in hot and heavy. Now, we know that John Collins' name has been in the trade rumors ever since um, Christ was resurrected. So we, we understand that piece, right? But there also, I came across a, um, a trade that was supposed to go down before the trade deadline, and according to Yahoo Sports, DeAndre Hunter was a part of conversation with the Indiana Pacers and it involved Chris Duarte coming back to the Atlanta Hawks and some draft conversation. Now, when you think about that piece, right, with John Collins being being constantly being in those rumors and put more than likely he might not be on this roster next year, but do you see a scenario where you see both Collins and Hunters not in Hawks uniforms next season? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not sure if there's a scenario that would work where you – would see both of them still in, mm. in, in the uniform. And I think about this, like looking at Chris Duarte, for example, yeah. he, he's an example of what Quinn Snyder can do if you give him the basic pieces that he needs, meaning that you give him some defense yeah. and that you give him someone who is in the front court that is willing and able and capable of help bringing help with defense on the wing yeah. and also can get you a three. And yes. that is something that Chris Duarte can do. Right. Yep. And so we, we look at Quinn Snyder's track record and I'll, I'll give an example from his track record as well. albeit more small forward, but with the potential to play power forward, Royce O'Neal. I mean, you're talking about someone who is essentially and is essentially a journeyman that somehow Quinn Snyder molded and shaped into a good wing defender and someone who could shoot the three. And in both of these guys, especially with me seeing Chris Duarte up front, I'll speak on speak, seeing him up front more so than Royce O'Neal. Mm-hmm. You are looking at guys that can actually, that are actually there on a consistent basis. And if nothing else, that's our biggest challenge with DeAndre Hunter and John Collins, the inconsistency in any area that you yeah. want them to do. When yeah. Dre, yeah, right. When Dre is lights out, you can probably count on him to be about 17 or 18 points, six to eight rebounds, and maybe, you know, four to six assists per game. You can count on him to be somewhere in the 30% area for threes, right? right. Notice what I said when he's consistent if it's not the injuries it is the up and down nature of we don't know which dre is going to show up and that could be pretty troublesome for quinn snyder to try because i don't know that that's something that quinn snyder can get him over the hump of because we've been waiting for him to get over the hump and we're now three coaches in and we still haven't seen it right and so that's a piece with him and then with john collins 
I just still feel like he can be great for somebody, whether you go back to the conversation about him going to the Mavs. I know that was one of the trades that was is kind of currently out there like, hmm, a kind of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving situation where maybe, you know, the Mavs do kind of a swap for lack of a better term. So, yeah, I could totally see that situation taking place and that being something that Quinn Snyder can actually work with because, again, what he needs essentially is a three and D type of guy. That's kind of how he flows. And then if he can get those guys who can help to bring sorely lacking perimeter defense to the Hawks and bring some three point shooting to complement what they already have in kind of that rounding out of a Sadiq Bay, a Jalen Johnson and an AJ Griffin. I think it would be very viable. And I do think it's very possible that we could see both of those guys in a different uniform in the ball. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that because here's the thing. They were one of the worst shooting teams, not worst shooting team, excuse me. They were no, one of the worst teams from an attempt standpoint yes, in the exactly. NBA. And I go back to one of the one of um, Quinn Snyder's most successful years when they, um, Utah went to the Western Conference Finals. Yes. And they were the tops. They were tops in the NBA as far as three-point attempts. So the more possibility they are able to bring guys in who can shoot the three, the more I believe is going to happen. And that kind of brings me to this point. Like we talked about, we know one of the reasons why uh, Quinn Snyder actually came into the fold because he knew he wanted to have some some say so as far as that personnel standpoint, and we, that was one of the reasons why he stepped down for, with the Utah Jazz because he knew they were going in a different direction and he wasn't interested in a whole rebuild type situation. So that's why we find him here. Given that being the case, now for me, I believe that you know Quinn Snyder is going to be heavy. More so than what 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 meets the eye because we know Landry Fields. I did this. I made a decision. I did this. I, but I feel behind the scenes, I feel Quinn Snyder is going to have his hand in the pot just a little more than what we than what we believe. T. What about you? Why else would he come here? Because yeah. the entirety of the association knew that there would be openings. Now maybe no one saw the Mike Budenholzer firing coming, that being probably the most attractive of all of the openings of that ended up happening. Right. But we all knew that there were some openings. You all, you kind of knew maybe the Suns would make a move if Monty Williams couldn't get those guys deep into the playoffs, if not into the NBA finals. So there were always going to be attractive jobs out there. And Quinn Snyder was always going to be the number one attraction for franchises. Right. He chose here. He didn't cho choose here just to be someone who is on the sideline saying, oh, okay, what does the front office say? Okay, that's fine. I'll go with what the front office believes. No, that's not quite what I see him as. And if you think about what the Jazz put on the table for him to try to keep him, I mean, they threw everything at him. It yeah. was money. It was ability to make decisions. Just anything that they thought would help to retain him. They even gave him all the space and time he needed to make a decision. And he still chose to walk away. So to me, you had to have had a comprehensive deal to make it sweet enough and rich enough for Quinn Snyder to make the move to return to coaching, especially to get him to return to coaching in essentially not the middle of a regular season, but essentially in the middle of a season. Yeah. And, and that, that move right there is looking to be probably one of the smartest moves as far from a front office standpoint, because like Indeed. you said, nobody really saw Philly. You know, the Philly job coming open. Nobody really saw the Milwaukee job um, coming open, like you mentioned. It's just a lot of things that 
making the Hawks look a lot more smarter than what people you know give them credit for. And and I think that people should appreciate that wholeheartedly. Now, coming up next, now T, we there's a, a term that you know we've been using here at the Locked On Podcast Network, and it's called elevate. I really feel like that is going to be the key word for Ryan Nielsen. And some veterans have started to already talk about the possibility of him being able to do that already. But first, we've got to let you know that this episode of ATL Day Ones is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It is the number one sportsbook in America. And guess what, guys? You guys been rocking with us each and every day. How much you rock with FanDuel Sportsbook? Because they got a really, really good special right here for you. So listen up. Here's the thing. They have the no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Also, guys, you don't have to worry about no food gaziness. You don't have to worry about people getting your information and stealing all that good stuff. They got it right there just for you. Also, you don't have to worry about your homeboy not paying up when it's time to pay up. Then you, you'll get your money instantly. You get it instantly as soon as that bet clears. That money is going into your account. So guess what, guys? I want you to do to go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N is the website you need to go to to take advantage of the no sweat first bet up to $2,500 if your first bet doesn't win. Go ahead and make every moment more with FanDuel because it is the official sportsbook betting partner of the NBA. So mandatory minicamp is a wrapper about six weeks out from training camp for the Falcons. And hey, we know how important it is for the Falcons defense to get off to a good start. They've gotten off to a good start in OTAs. We expect them to have another good start in training camp. But ultimately, this is all about show and prove in the regular season. And we know that Ryan Nielsen is going to be a big part of that. Now, Terry Fontenot did his part. He added all the veteran talent that Ryan Nielsen could have hoped for, especially up front but how important is it for Nielsen and really just that defensive staff overall Jerry Gray and those guys to not only develop those young players on the roster drivers but really really hone in on how to get the veterans to continue to evolve and improve their play as well because as good as David Onyemata was with the Saints as good as Jesse Bates III was with the Bengals you still need them in order for this whole defense to elevate those guys are still going to need to elevate their game. No, no doubt. I, I really feel like there. That's the that's the key piece for Ryan Nielsen and when, the type of effect that he's going to have on this this defense going forward. Because you know you bring in a, those veteran guys because you pretty much know what you're going to get from them. But I think it's when you're talking about elevating, like seems to be the uh, word, key word for the day, elevate. When you talk about elevating, you know there's a, a key element that I always talk about with coaches and professionals, right? professionals want to be taught they always want to learn something and once you get they learn something from you you have immediately have that player's respect going forward to the end of time and I think that Nielsen is starting to show that he's a teacher he's a guy that is a student of the game and he's be and he's able to not only learn about the game and, and apply it to himself and his qualities and what he brings to the table he's able to also go back and communicate that to the players and I think that one thing that really stood out to me, T, is the fact that Calais Campbell, a guy who's been in the league for 16 years, said that, hey, I was doing it this way. I felt like I had a really good rep. I, I felt like I, you know, got it got it done. And then Ryan Nielsen came up to me and said, you know, here's how you should do it. And here's, here's why you should do it that way. And then he did it that way. He said, you know what? 
I actually felt better doing it that way. And that's, that's why I feel like he's a perfect fit for this defense. And I think that when you have veteran guys like that 16 years in, because he's played in plenty of systems, T, 4-3 defensive end, you know, defensive tackle, all that stuff. He's done it all, you know, and pretty much seen pretty much every scheme that you can possibly see in the NFL. When you have a guy like that saying, hey, I learned something from this guy when we were in shorts and T-shirts, I think that is what – that's going to be the key in order for the, the Falcons defense to, to get out to a good start in September. Yeah, and I also can recall Calais being really excited about how he'll be used. He said, hey, not that I'm going to be Cam Jordan per se, and I understand that the percentages may not be any more than like – I think he talked about playing around 60% of the snaps. Right, but yeah. he was excited also about, hey, here's how Ryan Nielsen – and company were able to use Cam Jordan. And so I feel like the way that they were able to get things out of him and keep him improving and evolving on his technique year after right. year, that, yeah, there's actually something that they can bring to the table for me as well. So, yeah, I thought that was a really powerful comment, too. And another thing that I liked that came out of mandatory minicamp was the comment that Arthur Smith made about what had become a controversial topic and we're just real about the thing since the draft. So since B. John Robinson was drafted, the question was, Hey, what about Tyler Algier? What's going to happen to him and his reps? And I love the fact that Arthur Smith said, Hey, these two guys, they're both equally powerful. I think that was good for Tyler Algier's psyche because mm -hmm. B. John Robinson has already talked about the fact that he sees them as a one, two punch equally. Right. right. But he said, what he loves is those guys bring different aspects of how they get it done to the table so i'll throw out a number just as an example not to say that arthur smith meant just that but the thousand yards no matter what you you say that's still kind of a a bell cow right that's still kind right. of a, a milestone or a mile marker and mm -hmm. he said hey when you look at those types of things uh yardage uh yards per carry touchdowns they can both get it done they can yeah. both be equally successful just in different ways. So I like that because what that tells me, Jarvis, is just what we say all the time. There's versatility in so many places on the Falcons offense, but Arthur Smith called it out specifically to let us know, hey, I've already figured out that I can use these guys in different ways in different situations and still get the same result, which translation, yeah. if you get both of those guys going a thousand yards or above and getting eight to 10 touchdowns and hovering around five yards to carry like Algier did last year. And you hope Bijan does this year, man, is that going to be a powerful backfield and you don't have to worry about two guys fighting over the rock. Yeah. I don't, I'm not concerned about that at all. Like when you, when you think about, you know, what those two guys bring to the table, what um, Tyler Algier was able to accomplish last year, last year, like that had, that accounts for something. That is a big deal. We talked about it on this show at nauseum. Like this, this dude broke the rookie rushing record for the Atlanta Falcons as a whole, as an organization. So I, I'm not too concerned about that because I feel like I, I trust Arthur Smith wholeheartedly. But I, I think that you know you bring up a very interesting point when you talk about you know versatility and how to use guys. Like we've had some conversations about um, Arna Abiketti, and I saw something. Um, yesterday that I felt like was not yesterday but on Wednesday when I was out there at practice it was super super interesting they had Arna Ebikati working at the stand up linebacker spot it's not essentially the nickel spot so you know you had your two stand up linebackers Caden Ellis and um, Troy Anderson you had Bud Dupree uh, Dave Onyemata, Grady Jarrett and uh, Calais Campbell on the defensive line but you had 
on every candy at the nickel spot. And I was like, okay, what is going on here? You know what I'm saying? So I started going through my little foot, football juices, started getting it flowing. And then I started, I saw the formation where they had a tight end in, in, in the game. So I was like, ah, I see. That's what you're going to get. Potentially, you're going to have be able to have five rushers, you know, if that tight end stays in the block. And then on that, has been working up that stand-up stand up linebacker spot, you know, so you kind of play around with that. Like, you can have him blitz. You can have him drop into coverage. So, I feel like, you know, Nielsen, Arthur Smith, like, they, I can understand why he brought in Ryan Nielsen because the multitude of things they're going to be able to do with getting guys on the field at, all at the same time, I feel like this is going to be a true, true, true key piece and getting that flow together, getting those those substitutions and how that thing flows. Ryan Nielsen has a big task, but I feel like from what I'm seeing already, I'm like, okay, this might be something that might be really special. Yeah, indeed. And I agree with you on some of that interesting and intriguing work. I can see a, a zero, double zero personnel as well when you have five receivers because your running backs can actually be those for the Falcons. So yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see and going back to Algier and uh, Robinson as well. You look at what Algier was able to do. People love to say, Oh, it's a thousand yards in 17 games. Yeah. Well, guess what? He didn't play 17 games. because He didn't dress out in the first one and he only yeah. started seven of them. So yeah, powerful backfield. indeed. <laughs> what do you guys say? We think every day is that the Falcons are on to something with this backfield, but what say you let us know in the comments, drop them like you always do when you check out ATL day ones on YouTube. And don't forget, while you're riding around ATL this weekend, if you want to go back and listen to what Jarvis and I had to say this entire week, go ahead and download us wherever you get your podcasts. But T, this is for the culture. It is the intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about. Because that's just how we get down on this show. Today is no different. T, when you think about hardworking stories, I think Mr. Rayhan Staten is the epitome of that. He exemplifies what it is to, you know, have a goal and, and try to reach it. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, Rayhan is a guy that was a buoy a boy sanitation worker, and he was kind of working that job, and he really felt like he had a goal in mind. He wanted to be a lawyer, so he decided to go to college. And then, fast forward to the day, he literally has graduated from Harvard Law School, T, and he is doing his thing, going on to work at a New York law firm, when you think about that type of persistence, especially given where he started, like how cool is that for him to be able to set a goal and go out and accomplish that bad boy? Yeah, no excuses. No excuses. Yeah, Each absolutely. and every one of us should take a lesson from him to say, okay, it does not matter how humble your beginnings are. You can yeah. ascend anywhere, anyhow, any way that you want to. And that's not to say you won't have obstacles because that's not to say Rahan didn't have obstacles along the way as he's a sanitation worker and what that sometimes means because that's a very humbling type of job, right? right. So to get through that kind of gig and also to be a student, like you're, you're a full-time worker, you're probably a full-time student and you're able to walk away with a JD. I mean, that is super powerful as a lesson to all of us. Like, yeah, if, if you want to do it and Jarvis and I are also examples of that. Like these, yes. this is not either of us, uh, the first career for either of us, but yet we stay the course and here we are with you guys, our everyday is right here on ATL day one. So. Yeah, I, I think it's super cool because, like, and one thing that really stood out is just that support that he talked about, even to the point where the guys that actually worked with him at the sanitation place, you know, were saying, like, hey, man, go to college because they don't want him to you know, experience what they may be, you know, going through as an adults, as adults 
working in the, in that sense of place. And there's no knock against them. It's just the fact that they saw something in him to be able to encourage him to go to school and go pursue your dreams. Because yeah. I experienced that myself. Because, you know, after my failed attempt at trying to go to the NFL, like, I had to figure out what to do with my life. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to do something that was fulfilling. And, you know, working at – I was working at Jiffy Lube, making $9 an hour, T, and I'm just like, ah, this is not me. They even offered me a job, you know, to be a general manager. And I turned it down because I was like, I knew I did not want to stay here, and I didn't want to yeah. be stuck in a rut doing something that I really didn't even like doing. So it, it, and that encouraged me to go go to school and go get my get my uh, my certification and, you know, and be doing what I'm doing right now. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly identify – with Mr. Staten, and I really appreciate him for just, you know, being persistent because a lot of times people can look at something and, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get there, and they may be deterred from it. So, But for him to be able to kind of keep going and sustaining himself and having that support, the support system, even to his boss, you know, would allow him to go leave and go to class and everything like that. It's just so many pieces that help people get to this certain standpoint, and I really appreciate him for acknowledging that, you know, along the way. Absolutely. And I appreciate the Braves. Yes. I, I don't know how many other ways, 10, 12, 14 ways to Sunday they yeah. are for the culture. Why? Because just like we talked about the consistency and being persistent and staying the course, that's the kind of thing you see with the Braves all the time. They're always going to be persistent in, okay, if we need to do something, we're going to make a move. So what did they do? They gave A.J. smith Chauver a second start. Dude is 20 years old and absolutely blew it out. Last night to match up with what Steve Avery was able to do back in the day as being the youngest pitcher to get his first win. Just really, really exciting. And then always for the culture when you can make moves and kind of switch things around. Like you said, with Staten, he was able to, in his sanitation worker space, see that bigger picture to say, hey, I know I want to get this JD. And Brian Snicker, always seeing the bigger picture. What did he do last night? Tinker with the lineup. What did he do? Put Ozzy Albies in the two hole. What did you get? An eight to three win to open up the series for the Rockies. So it's like, it just shows when you are persistent and when you can kind of see that bigger picture of what it is that you're trying to go after. And for them, it's obviously to stay atop the national league. So hopefully they can get that number one seed all the way to another birth in the world series. That is what it's not about. It's not just about game one for the Rockies. It's always seeing the bigger picture for the Braves. Yeah, and, and when you think about all the little subtle moves that Alex Anthopoulos has made, like they brought in Jesus Aguilar. You know, he used to be with the Marlins. He was with the A's that, that cut him and released him. You know, they just bringing him in, you know, just little subtle moves, like because you never know. And, and I think Alex Anthopoulos is setting up for the, for the long haul, right? And I don't think he's done either. You know, when you have – uh, you know, uh, the uh, Jesse Chavez going on at the 15-day IL, who you kind of mentioned, you hinted at yesterday about talking about it. So I think that those are some of the things that we really have to appreciate and acknowledge that, hey, the forward thinker that is Alex Anthopoulos, people should appreciate them wholeheartedly. Now, guys, we will be back. You know, don't 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 get don't get it twisted, you know, as far as with Monday, because Monday we're going to acknowledge the Juneteenth holiday but I will be back on Tuesday. T is going to be celebrating, you know what I'm saying, you know, a little something special. So, you guys, make sure you come back with us on Tuesday. We will be here right here for you, and we will be talking all NBA trade situation because we know the draft is going down on Thursday. So, who knows what the Hawks will do, and we'll have you covered on all ends when it comes to that. But, guys, last but not least, before we get out of here, I have to make sure – 
make sure, make sure, as we go into the weekend, that you both share love, show love. Most importantly, make sure y'all spread some love over the weekend. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.